Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grody. I'm joined by my son, John Mark, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the Coming Home Network International. And we're coming to you from the studios of the Coming Home International, and uh, we're picking up uh, on what we began last week uh, in our discussion of 10 ingredients to growing in contentment based on uh, some scriptures from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And <clears throat> John Mark, before we jump back into the list, we covered the first three last week. We'll cover the last seven today. <clears throat> but I wondered if you want to uh, just mention anything to the audience about our work. Yeah, I thought I'd uh, just remind again that we have some neat events coming up. Um, let's see, this, uh, at the end of April, so April, uh, shoot, I don't have it in front of me. Right at the end of April, the, the Monday at the end of April uh, through May 2nd, it's a Monday through Thursday, uh, we have a communal network retreat in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, and so again, if you're, if you're a convert or someone on the journey to the Catholic Church, that is a, a few days for you to come together with other members as well as staff for prayer and worship and discussion about the journey of continual conversion into Jesus Christ and his church. So that's coming up here at the end of April. And information's on chnetwork.org, as well as we're having a pilgrimage, a deep history pilgrimage uh, to Italy this fall. Uh, and information for that is available on the website as well. So if you go to chnetwork.org and you hover over uh, a connection, uh, those those uh, links will be under that. All right. Thanks, John Mark. Well, one of the reasons we decided to look at this issue of contentment also comes out of our work because uh, we have a staff of folk as well as an online community that is there to stand beside people who are seeking to grow deeper in their life with Jesus Christ in his church. So there are people being drawn to inquire about the Catholic Church, or there's others who maybe have gotten to the point that they're convinced in the, the fullness of the Catholic Church, but they're con concerned about how they'll support their families or continue their vocation once they become Catholic, or how they'll live with non-Catholic friends and family who... Or they're waiting on a, on a spouse, you know, or, they're, or, or how they're to, to navigate this spiritual life with their family members. There's a lot, a lot of different challenges they face. Yeah, and there are Catholics who uh, we talk to all the time that in the midst of the, of the scandals and the struggles and the divisions in the church herself are wondering whether they should stay Catholic. And so mm -hmm. this issue of being content... Uh, now, uh, as uh, as the, the author that you mentioned, John Mark Cassad, uh, writes about mm -hmm. uh, abandonment to the will of God, you know, in the moment, at this moment, being content in Christ, how do we do it? How do we do it? It's one thing to say, okay, I'd just be content. Well, how do I do it? What can I do? Yeah. And Paul, in this letter to Philippians, seems to give at least 10 ingredients to growing in contentment. And in our program last week, we talked about the first three. We put together this list, and the first three are remembering that somebody cares for us, and that came from chapter 1, verse 3. So it's as if Paul, in the midst of his, of his chains in prison, separated from his friends, all the temptations that are there to discourage him, in the midst of that, what comes to his mind are those other people that he mm -hmm. knows by God's grace has brought to him. Because those really are the permanent things. You know, there, there's a passage, I wish I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's from the end of C.S. Lewis's Paralandra, 
when the, the protagonist gets this vision of human history and recognizes that civilizations, institutions, um, buildings, books, all this stuff, that will all pass away. But God and the people that are connected to him in love, those relationships, those are the permanent things. You know, everything else is is passing, but that's what's permanent. So, you know, recalling the love of God and our connection to the communion of saints, uh, that's that's this permanent thing that we can recognize even in time of turmoil or struggle. And, you know, put that as number one in this list. It could have been anywhere, but I, I really, again, connect with people. We, mm. we aren't alone in this world. Nobody is alone. Nobody is alone. As alone as you might feel, no one's Through our baptism, we are united. Through God's love for us, we are united. There are things that unite us. But even a more personal level, think about the mm-hmm. people that you can envision in your life that care for you. And sadly, that we sometimes take for granted. Do they know we care for them? And number two, realize that our contentment is not based on our circumstance. Mm-hmm. As if changing the circumstance is going to make us more content. Because if that's the direction we go, we'll never be content. And our world is full of that. You see it yeah. all around us. People searching to, as if contentment is the end of life. And so more stuff or more things or more people or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're rather, thirdly, to accept circumstances as a part of God's plan. Where we are right now. Is there a way that you can get to seeing it as a part of God's plan? And is there ways that your present life, in fact, is a channel of God's grace to others? Because, in fact, it it always is. This is the thing. Sometimes when you hear people talk about God's plan, you start to get this sort of, this Gnostic uh, esoteric sort of sense that God's plan is this secret knowledge I have to go out there and discover. As again, as I, I, I mentioned a couple times in the last episode, as if God is merely one player in his own universe that is contending with the other players, and we have to go out and find his plan. God is the divine author behind it all. And so everything that is happening is something he intended or allowed. We're in his plan. And so it's not a matter, again, it's kind of like, um, you know, uh, becoming present to God. God is always more present to us than we are to ourselves. The question is, are we aware of that? Are we drawing our attention to that in this present moment, these circumstances, God is here? Yeah, this particular point in this list is based on chapter 1, verses 12 through 14 of Philippians. And I didn't list this, but as I continue reading in verse 15, it just again points this out where Paul is referring to this really weird situation. And that is, he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So, I mean, he's pointing out the fact that there are guys out there preaching Christ for bad motives, which is kind of goofy. Uh, I can certainly see, and we see it all around us, people preaching Christ because they want to become rich ministers. Okay, well, that's a bad motive. But he says, the, uh, those that do it of goodwill do it out of love, verse 16, knowing that, now here's where he says, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim it, 
out of partisanship, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my predicament. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. You know, he's, he's come to recognize that his being put there wasn't his plan, but it was a part of God's plan. And by recognizing that, he's able to see, whoa, God has made a difference in other people's lives because I've been put here. And that reminds me of two things. One, it reminds me of a group, one of your favorite quotes, John Mark, from C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis, in which in one of his letters he made this comment. He said, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. What one calls one's real life is a phantom of one's own imagination. <laughs> that's a great I quote. love that. It really is. You know, and it's one of those quotes that's great. Not because you look at it and it affirms you. You look at it and say, oh my goodness, mea culpa. Because it really, this one hits me so hard because it's, I, I am the sort of person to be constantly frustrated by the interruptions in my plans for being holy and my plans for being content. Uh, But as Lewis points out, those things, those interruptions, that's part of real life. It's my imagined fantasy life uh, that are are the way that I imagine things that are going to go. And so, but I don't, that can be an idol. Our, our plans for things, our will can be an idol if we cling to it and we need to destroy the idol so that we can be open to God who is meeting us in those interruptions, in those circumstances, if we can have the eyes to see them. And the danger is we become so focused on ourselves that we don't recognize that even the worst circumstance we, we could be going through might somehow be a part of God's plan for the good of other people. And that reminds mm-hmm. me of something, John Mark, and I wonder if you know what I'm referring to, Zuzu's Petals. Ah, yes. Zuzu's petals. What is that? Zuzu's petals. Well, it's a reference to the this a, a great movie on precisely this topic. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I, I know. Because of radio <laughs> time, I won't uh, let the silence go there. He, the main character yeah. that Jimmy Stewart plays, is on a bridge because the angel has been showing him what life would be like without him. And when he discovers the joy of that is when he reaches in his pocket and Zuzu's petals are there, which means he was given his life back. Mm -hmm. And the point was that how much each life makes a difference in this world through the love of God. Yeah. And that's what it calls with recognizing that our circumstances, whatever it is, even being in change like Paul, he says, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Yeah. And what way is our life for other people? And that's going to get Mm -hmm. us on to, let's look at then the last seven ingredients to growing in contentment that Paul gives us in Philippians. Number four comes from chapter 1, verse 21, and chapter 3, 7 through 11, and that is that we need to Desire a relationship with Jesus Christ more than anything else. This is a key to contentment. 
desire a relationship with Jesus Christ more than anything else. This is what Paul says. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuge in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. Yeah, again, what a powerful verse. It points out that in this death to self and this this total embrace of, of Christ and his cross, there's even the abandonment of of my own ideas of what that looks like, my own efforts for that. You know, it's a total abandonment. It's not that I'm giving 100% of my effort toward that. It goes even beyond 100% of my effort. It is giving myself to Christ and it's only through his power. It's it's through my faith in Christ's power that I'm transformed. Yeah, when he said, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things mm-hmm. and count them as refuse. You know, in that, when we look at his story, we realize that mm-hmm. a lot of times the things were taken out of his hands that he didn't want to really let go of. Mm-hmm. But he realized that the loss of these things were for the sake of Christ. Christ knows yeah. what's best for me. I need to want what he wants for me. And so for the core of being content is desiring, focusing on Jesus Christ more than anything else. That's not going to take away from our marriage or from mm-hmm. our friendships or from our work. It's going to make them all better right? by focusing on Jesus Christ more than anything else. Yeah, and that's again another another one of Lewis's famous points is precisely this principle of first things and second things, that if we cling to those second things in our in our mind in our heart at, at whatever level of our being, if we cling to those second things, not only do we lose the first things, but we lose the second things as well. And again, that gets us back to that that earlier point about circumstances and contentment not being connected here, because if we if we if our first attachment is to those second things, not only do we lose those second things eventually because they're changeable, they're passable, but we lose that contentment by being rooted in God and and receiving that contentment, contentment that only he can give. We're able to then look back at even those second things and maybe even things that we didn't appreciate before. Again, looking at even those difficult parts of our circumstances and recognizing there's a gift here, there's a plan here, there's grace to be had in all circumstances. This kind of reminds me of a quote by T.S. Eliot. I'm not quoting it exactly in which he says that the way up and the way down are one and the same. Mm-hmm. And what he's talking mm-hmm. about is that sometimes when we're following Christ, mm-hmm. sometimes he takes us upward and sometimes we're going down. Yeah. But it's all one and the same if our focus right. is Jesus Christ. And if you will, these 10 steps, the first three involve 
getting ourselves out of the hole. Mm -hmm. If you're in the hole of discontentment, yeah. one of the steps is remembering those that love you. Mm -hmm. Second is remembering that contempt isn't based on the situation you're in. In fact, it's recognizing that you might be exactly where God wants you to be. Mm. Okay, what do I do? Four, focus on Jesus. Yeah. That's it. Focus on him. More than anything else, focus on him. Do what you need to do to grow closer to him. If that means going to the sacraments, if that means reading scripture, if that means taking time in prayer, getting spiritual, whatever it takes, yeah. you need to get closer to Jesus Christ. You know, and then that's a really good point there too. That it, it gets back to this interesting paradoxical, cyclical nature of of the Christian life. That so, if we find ourselves in that hole of discontentment or, or whatever it is, we find ourselves in the first step uh, have been out, the first steps have been outlined here, and they culminate in refocusing on Christ first. And then, if in that recognition, if we if, if that coming to Christ. And that submission to the truth of things, the reality as it is, part of that reality might be realizing I am not in my life where I need to be. And just maybe in sometimes part of my situation is because I'm not living a godly life. And so that that initial contentment of coming to Christ then proceeds into, okay, now I have a conviction. I need to change. I need to do X, Y, and Z. But not again, not out of me striving to pull myself up by my bootstraps but because I've been convicted by Christ and in obedience to him, I proceed to, to follow him. Step five then comes from chapter two, verses three through four. We're to live a selfless life for others. Paul says, quote, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This reminds me, John Mark, mm -hmm. that if you go to my office, I've got these three wooden blocks that I made. <laughs> yep. Good Lord, at least 30 years ago. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're big versions of the little blocks you had when you were a little kid. And one's mm -hmm. a J, and one's an O, and one's a Y. Mm -hmm. And I know that many Pastors have used this imagery many, many times, but it mm -hmm. spells joy if you get it right. Mm -hmm. But if you get it out of step, it spells other things, yaj or whatever. <laughs> but what it stands for is Jesus and others and yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you get them in the right order, that's how joy comes. Mm -hmm. Joy disappears when you get them out of order. In other words, if you put yeah. others first and Jesus mm -hmm. last, then the way you seek to please others can be imbalanced mm -hmm. for the wrong reasons. You could be pleasing others because you want them to love you. So you're giving to get rather mm -hmm. than recognizing Christ first so that he helps you understand how we're to love others. Yeah. We're to love others as he loved us. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the selfless life for others has to come after desiring a relationship with Jesus above anything else. But yeah. after that, we need to recognize that somehow in our contentment, we need to, to grow in contentment and need to look for ways to live a life that's for other people hmm. in the midst of that. Right.
And it, well, it, it kind of draws this for, for full circle. We, we began by remembering the body of Christ, remembering that we're connected in love by God to to those other people that He's put in our lives. And so, you know, when we when we when we recall that and we refocus on Christ uh, and His and His love for us that precedes all our thought and action. Um, then that proceeds into into love of his body. In fact, when Paul learned contentment in whatever state he was, it says because he realized that while he was in prison, he became a messenger of Christ to others around him. So by seeking Christ in the situation where he was, his life became something for other people, a bit like mm-hmm. we were talking about It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. So, number four, you desire a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number five, you live a selfless life for others. Then number six comes from chapter four, verses six through seven. And John Mark, maybe I'll have you read this since I end up talking too sure. much in this program. But number six <laughs> involves replacing our anxieties with prayers of thanksgiving. So this is chapter four, verses six through seven. Have no anxiety about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think it's important to point out that behind almost all of these statements by Paul is Mm -hmm. an assumption of the teachings of Christ in his Letter to Timothy, we quoted it last week in chapter 6, verses, verse 3. He said, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching which accords with godliness. Mm-hmm. And the point there is there are people that focus their whole Christianity on the words of Paul and almost forget the words of Jesus as if they don't apply to us anymore. But the point is that beneath the foundation for everything Christ or Paul teaches is the teaching of Christ. And in this case, mm-hmm. it is the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Because when he's talking about have no anxiety about anything, well, where does he get that from? Mm-hmm. The Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Uh, that's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. The entire point of the Sermon on the Mount is detachment and simplicity and others yeah. and focusing on Christ. And that's yeah. what it's about, seeking perfection. Yeah. And I love this, you know, placing this verse here. Uh, I love this verse and placing it here in this list because this gives us in, in, in a small encapsulated couple sentences this recipe for then how this becomes an ongoing, growing thing that we practice in our lives. You know, we often find, our, find ourselves in a situation of discontentment, of anxiety, uh, as he says here. Um, and and if we haven't kind of gone through the first steps, if we haven't refocused on Christ, then our again our Christian life can become one of constantly wrestling with anxieties, wrestling to fix things, and you know, and maybe reaching out to God for help once in a while. But we get it, we get it uh, backwards. We we go to Christ first. We throw ourselves on Him. His mercy and His power first, and then we, when we turn back to our anxieties, then one by one, as they come at us, we take those to prayer, but with a with a with a firm 
trust in God. Again, your your favorite uh, Bible verse, which has become mine, uh, hearing it throughout my life, is Proverbs um, 3, 5, 3, 5, and, five six. and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So this, we refocus on, on Christ. We let that love overflow into focusing on others. And then as these anxieties come our way, one by one, we present those to Christ. We, we look to him for help. We look to him for the answers. And we replace those with trust and thanksgiving. And what's the result? Just as in that verse from Proverbs, it's what we have here. And the peace of God, his guidance, his making correct of our paths, some a corrective in our lives, a peace a direction that we couldn't manifest, that we couldn't create even at our smartest and at our most put together. That is what's promised us. Yeah, two ver- two words that I want to make sure we underline. In the previous point about living a selfless life, he talked about the importance of humility. Mm-hmm. And in this point, the importance of thanksgiving. Contentment The core virtues that lead to contentment are humility and thankfulness, gratitude. They really are. You will never be content if if we're not growing in humility or thankfulness. In fact, right now, if you're feeling discontent, look for ways to be thankful in your life. and what is humility? It is letting go of ourselves mm-hmm. uh, and focusing on Christ and others yeah. and being thankful for all that we've received. Uh, the seventh point comes from, and John Mark, I'll ask you to read again. The sure. seventh point comes from chapter 4, verse 8, the next verse. And this focuses on that we are to think on things that are right, good, and true. Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, John Mark, this is the reason why I wanted you and and, and your brother Peter, uh, particularly uh, when you went to college, to focus on liberal mm-hmm. arts because I wanted you to be able to learn how to discern the things that are right, good, and true in our world. Yeah. You know, and what the, what this brings to mind of, of thinking of this verse in relation to the prior verse is that um, it takes trust in God to turn from our anxieties in trust and focus on humility and, and gratitude, to focus on the true and the good and the beautiful. Uh, you know, we, we've quoted Lewis a couple times. There's a there's an essay of his where he's he's asked the question. I think it was it was during it was during World War II. Um, you know, do we keep teaching the liberal arts? Do we keep teaching? Do we keep writing poetry? Do we keep writing books while there's a war on? And he was sort of giving the case that that these parts of, of human life have to go on even during the midst of crisis. And again, that's the temptation is that when the crisis has happened in the world, the temptation is to turn from Christ 
and for all the and from what he wants to give us from the truth and the good and the beauty toward those anxieties. But we have to recognize that that's a lack of trust in God. You know, if in trust in God, he turns us to a certain task, then by all means, we go to that with all our whole heart. But most of the time, the anxieties that are plaguing us are temptations to turn away from Christ and focus on them, oftentimes focusing on things that we can do nothing about. Yeah. You know, the, the lesson, in, uh, the scriptural lesson of God's command for us to have a Sabbath is is a bit of a lesson in this, and that we we always have the temptation of getting to the Sabbath day and saying, but I have more work I could be doing. There are more problems that I could fix. There is more money that I could make. There are more projects around the house I could get done. But it's an act of trust, and it's a it's a rehearsing of this fundamental trust in God's providence that I say, you know what? Today I rest and I worship, and I focus on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, etc. In the midst of feeling alone, in a difficult circumstance, we can become so self-focused and gone like that old friend of mine when none mm. of us knew he was so deep in, dis in despair. Yeah. But these are the steps to help get out of that, about thinking about those that love you, recognizing that contentment is not connected to your circumstance, looking for ways that your circumstance might be not only a part of God's plan, but for good for other people. Look at Jesus Christ in the midst of it, and then look at how you can, you can reach out to others in prayer, being grateful for what God's giving you, in the midst of our inundation with this digital information revolution, mm -hmm. what are you filling your mind with? Fill it with good things. Look for things that draw you to Jesus Christ, that help you be grateful for the things He's given you. And then that leads us to step eight, which is not only in verse in the. Step seven, are we focusing our mind and heart on things that are right, good, and true? But in step eight, which comes from chapter 3, 17, and 4, 9, that we are to fellowship with and learn from contented people. Brethren, join in imitating me and mark those who so live as you have an example in us. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace will be with you. Yeah, who do we imitate? Hmm. Who do we model? Where do we go to for our models? Who are our heroes? Hmm. And how do we help our young people choose better heroes? <laughs> people to imitate, to hang with, to model, to learn from, yeah. you know. And, and in this case, Paul is, uh, in 1 Timothy, for example, he was, he was doing that to Timothy. Hmm. And then what he told Timothy to do in chapter 2, verses 2, after he said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that's when Paul said, and what you have heard from me before many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we have this responsibility, if we will, to pass on to others, as Paul's telling the Philippians. Uh, brethren, join in imitating me. He saw a responsibility for that. 
almost Paul was recognizing that how he dealt with the situation he was in was going to be a model for others to deal with actually the trouble that was coming towards the Philippians. Right. And in the midst of our present struggle right now in which we're living in the crisis all around us in our politics and in our economy and in our culture and the craziness that we're in, are we models for others and how to live a life of contentment in Jesus Christ that they should follow? One of the ways that I think that step seven and leads into step eight here is that one of the things as Catholics that we can focus on is the right, the good, and the true. So we have this great body of um, of the writings and the lives of the saints. And in the saints, as we study them, we, we recognize that these are very different people than others we might encounter in the world. There are many in the world that have great, powerful messages that are very charismatic. They may be, they may seem very satisfied, but it's becomes more and more clear that it's a very uh, strong self-satisfaction. We encounter the saints. We encounter this unique contentment that Paul is talking about here. This contentment, this, again, as it says above, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace that the world cannot give, no matter how charismatic you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how rich or famous or whatever, the peace that only God can give. When we focus on the lives of the saints, we get to know them, and we recognize that we're in communion uh, with them through the body of Christ. We begin to encounter this, this virtue of contentment that God worked in their lives. And as we learn and identify that, we begin to recognize, again, how different that is from the people, from ourselves maybe uh, at any given time, as well as the, the figures that we see out there in the world. And that allows us to begin to identify those holy men and women that are in our midst. Maybe those people we didn't even recognize before in our parish or in our family. Maybe they they weren't who we expected because we were looking for someone uh, standing on top of the hill uh you know, being very satisfied with themselves, saying great things. But where are those people who really do have that peace that only God can give? Those are the people that we that we, we draw close to, and we um, and we learn from, uh, and we uh, we connect a little bit with that peace that uh, that God's given them that we that we're seeking ourselves. Yeah, a reason that we need to be praying for our leaders, our priests, and our our religious and, and our bishops and our pastors, ministers, we need to be praying for them because they are in a, they've accepted a responsibility to be a model for others. And the devil knows that if he can tear their lives down, he'll pull down people with them. Mm. And so we need to pray for anyone that has accepted a call to be a model of Christ for others. Um, and we need to pray for them so that when they are basically saying, imitate me, yeah. that they're strengthened by grace to do that. Mm. Okay, the last two points come together, um, and they're important ones, which we could spend a whole time on, John Mark, but we'll mm. look at verse uh, step nine, ingredient nine, comes from chapter three, verses 12 through 14. And in this case, we are now to recognize and accept that conversion and contentment are a process. Yeah. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In the midst of anxiety, in the midst midst of discontentment, what Paul is uh, expressing to us is his own empathy, because he's there too. He's growing. Uh, if he waited until he had totally arrived, we wouldn't have any New Testament epistles. <laughs> but he recognized that he's still on a journey. He's growing in humility. He's growing in gratefulness. He's growing in contentment, even in the midst of his change. And he says, guys, I haven't arrived yet. But that doesn't mean that we set aside the goal to perfection. There are many Christians, sadly, that basically bought into the idea that because of the original sin, we are so depraved that there's nothing we can do to, to respond to grace to grow in perfection. That we focus only on our depravity, and so that if I died tonight and I stood before Jesus and, and, and or stood before God the Father and God and He said, "Why shall I let you into my kingdom?" Our only answer is to point to Jesus. But that's not our calling. Our calling, yes, we point to Christ. Our faith is in Him. But because of that, we are to imitate Him, and by the grace we're given, we're to grow in grace. We're to grow to become more united with him so that we can stand before God without embarrassment. That's what the whole call of abiding is. And so that's why we have this um, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward mm -hmm. to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. Right. Yeah, it could be, on the one hand, while we could shrink back from this call uh, to seek the transformation that, that Christ wants to give us, that peace, and that conversion, that holiness, um, we could also then go the other direction, again, of, of, of striving forward, but again, becoming reattached to our own plans, our own time frame, our own picture of how this is going to play out. But that's why it's this, it's this ongoing uh, paradoxical tension between I'm giving 100% of myself to you, Lord, but I'm also, uh, again, I'm content. You know, so I, I will I will give 100% to what you put in front of me, but I'm content with the interruptions. I'm content with the discouragements. I forget what lies behind. I don't worry. I don't worry about that. I just press on. Yeah, and contentment does not necessarily mean so uh, selfishly attached to where you are now. Or to what you have now. He might take it all away, like in the book of Job. Mm -hmm. Whatever, mm -hmm. Lord. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Forgetting the past, I press on to follow you. So, all right, we reach number 10. And so in the midst of discontentment, focusing on those that we know love us, including our Lord, realizing that our contentment is not connected to our circumstance, but rather our circumstance may be somehow a part of God's plan, looking to Jesus, focusing on him more than anything else. And then in the midst of our situation, how can we turn away from ourselves unto others? And then replacing those continuing anxieties, temptation to anxieties with prayers of thanksgiving, mm -hmm. 
lifting it up to God, focusing our mind instead of the anxieties on things that are good and beautiful and true, connecting with other people who are successful in their walk with Jesus Christ. They're contented. We see to learn from them, imitate them, recognizing in the process that we're, we're growing. That we're, it's a process. And then number 10 is remember that it all depends on the power of God. And I love this verse. It's one worth mm-hmm. memorizing. And that's chapter yeah. 4, verse 13. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Right. That's the key. And that's really the answer to, you know, that, uh, that previous uh, objection that you brought up. Uh, that yes, you know, we are broken by sin, by original sin we are. But, if, but God has called us to this vocation of holiness. He has called us to seek the holiness of the Father. And it's not through our power. It's not through our strength. It's through him. We can hope for that strength because he's called us to it and because it's only through his power that we strive towards it. The one other place in the New Testament where the word content or sufficient is used, it's a different Greek word, but it's translated, content, uh, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. And I think it applies very much to what we're talking about, where Paul says, and to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, quote, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, end of quote. Paul says, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Hmm. I mean, that kind of sums it all up. You know, I mean, there's Paul. It does, in the midst of his anxieties, it doesn't mean that in his prayers of thanksgiving, he also says, hey, Lord, you know, if you can take this cup away. Mm-hmm. But what does Jesus say? But thy will be done. Right. And so by grace, he's learned to be content, even in the midst of weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, because he realizes by grace, even when he's weak, that's when he's strong. All right, I'm going to probably, John Mark, ask uh, Matt to post our little list on the website. So as people are mm-hmm. listening to this, all this is there for them, for their benefit. Yeah. And uh, thank you all for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. I hope it's an encouragement to you. And John Mark, as we close, I'm going to invite you to just share a little bit more about our work in closing. Sure. Again, if you want to access the, this more of the episodes or those notes, uh, you can go to chnetwork.org and hover over resources and access the Deep in Scripture page there. And again, if you are on this journey, uh, you're discovering, you're going deeper in Scripture, you're discovering the Catholic faith, or maybe you're a convert to the church and you're and you're 
uh, going through the continuing journey, we'd really invite you to connect with the Coming Home Network. If you go to chnetwork.org, you can sign up for our newsletter, which comes out every month. It's got new conversion stories and articles and prayer requests and updates from other people on the journey. And you can also go to community.chnetwork.org to connect online with other people who are with you on this journey of deeper conversion to Jesus Christ. All right. Thanks, John Mark. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.